Good morning. Good to be with you all. Uh, my name is Ken Delage. If I haven't had the privilege to meet you, serve as the senior pastor here, and it is a joy to have you with us as we look to God's Word together. We actually have outlines this morning, and the ushers are standing by in the back. So if you didn't get an outline, raise your hand. That's probably most people. That's totally fine. And we're going to make sure we got somebody over there doing it. We got two gentlemen here, and uh, so just keep your hand up until you until you get one. Well, the older I get, the more I enjoy the rhythm that a year brings to it. I like the return to something that where I've been there before. You could think of it like the seasons. We're really bursting into summer right now, and I enjoy the change to summer. I also enjoy the, the, the fact that in our calendar, we have holidays that we come back to over and over again. It's not like every year we come up with new holidays, you know, like we all just finished Memorial Day. And I was grateful for the reminder, the reminder to, to remember those who've given their life for our country. I'm grateful that in a few weeks, yeah, several weeks, we'll get to celebrate the 4th of July. And we can talk about our freedoms and be thankful again for the freedoms that the Lord has given us. And there's all kinds of cultural holidays that we have set up. And there's some wisdom to that as a culture. Um, Then as a Christian culture, man, getting to celebrate Thanksgiving is a reminder to give thanks to the Lord, as a reminder to actually count our blessings and recount our blessings and give praise to the Lord. And, And then there's Christmas, where we remember the coming of Christ. And of course, there's Easter, where we remember the death and then the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. These are good things. A wise culture sets up reminders about things that it values. It sets up a kind of a routine so that we can come back together and remember those things which are most dear to us. I think the 4th of July is a good example of that, of remembering that there are those that fought for our freedom and that we should value our freedoms, right? That's something we do as a culture. Well, if that's true as a culture, friend, the same is true as a church. We, we, we want to not be the church that makes up new holidays every year and, and okay, something new, let's go on something new, let's go on to something new. There is, it's okay to do something new. It's okay to have some variety, but there should be a returning back, a, a routine of remembrance. What is it that we most value? What is it that we most care about? Let's make sure that those things don't get left behind even as we move forward as a church. We've got to return to what we find most precious and remember what we most cherish and recall what we most value. And this morning, we start a new series to do that together. It's a summer series that we're going to do as a church entitled Mercy Hill Values. And in it, we're going to take time to talk about what we value most as a local church. And we do this in, the, in a similar way that a society does its holidays. What happens at a holiday? Well, the old folks get to invite the new folks in. This is what we do at Thanksgiving. Isn't this fun? 
Isn't this cool? We value giving thanks. Welcome to the clan, you know? There's a, there's a welcoming in of new, and there's, for those that are older, just this, I think, increasing sweetness to celebrating that yet again. Yes, that's right. We're taking time to give thanks as we ought to take time to give thanks. Well, as, as a church, my, my heart, our heart as pastors, is that for those that have been here a long time, we're able to circle back to what we value most and celebrate it together. Like, yes, that's right. We value this. And for those that are new, that we're able to share, this is what we value at Mercy Hill. This, these are precious truths from God's word that he has given to his church. And it is right for us to, to receive them, to recall them, to defend them, to celebrate them together. And so that's the plan. So we're taking a break from Matthew. We've been going through the book of Matthew. We're going to pick that back up again when we're done here, but it's going to be a couple months before we pick that back up because this is our summer series. And if you're just joining us, typically what we do is we pick a book of the Bible and preach our way through it. And we're unashamed to take a long time doing that, like with Matthew. We've been in Matthew for a while, like since before COVID. So uh, we've been in Matthew for a while, uh, but we're going to take a break. And actually, it's going to be a little bit different style of preaching as well. Typically, we open to one passage and explain what that one passage means. And that is the bread and butter of Mercy Hill. That's what we want to be about. That's called expositional preaching. Um, but the nature of something like this is we're going to talk about different values. We're going we're to talk about those topics that we most care about together. And that's, that's where we're heading. And so this is a series for all of us, young and old, new or older members of the church, so that we can celebrate these same values together. But I do want to talk to those of you that aren't members at Mercy Hill. Uh, to become a member of Mercy Hill, we have a membership class. This is it. All right? So we're going to be doing together the membership class in preaching format because it's been a long time since we've had a new members class. Uh, we, we had one, and then just at about the time we were planning to have another, um, COVID, you know, you remember, and we've just never recovered. Um, so it's been like three years since we've been able to welcome anybody into formal membership. And so if you're not a member of Mercy Hill, if you've never been through the class, never formally became a member, the, the purpose of this series is to give you the information you need so that you can discern God's calling, whether he's calling you to be a member here or not. Um, and we're going to have more details for those of you that are considering membership as the series goes along. So I don't want that to be distracting to you this morning. I do want you to know that's where we're going, though. And you didn't even have to sign up for this class. You're already here. Congratulations. Good job. All right. So we're going we're gonna to talk about different values, and some of them are going to, well, most of them are kind of theological concepts that, man, it's, it's exciting to get to, to share and celebrate these things together. We're going to talk about being reformed and what that means. We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit and His presence and activity and gifts among His people. We're going to talk about the biblical perspective of 
complementarian gender roles and how that works its way out in the life of this church and how it should work its way out in our lives and in our homes. We're going to talk about missions and evangelism and the the mission that the Lord has given us as individuals and as a local church. But this morning, we're going to start with the church. We're going to start by talking about the church because, well, we're all here. We're all participating in a church right now. And we ought to stop and think, what is the church? Because I'll tell you what, the culture's perspective on the church is kind of a bad starting place for us. And yet the culture's perspective on the church is probably our starting place when it comes to thinking about the church. The culture would view the church as an organization like a lot of other organizations, man-made organization, group of people that gets together. Uh, maybe, maybe if the culture's thinking charitably about the church, they would say, oh, you know, the, you know, the church gets together, they try to do good things. Or very often, the church is now seen as a political organization, an instrument of political change or of national ideas. And these are not the starting places of the church. So we want to talk this morning about what's the biblical perspective. What is the church and why should I join one? All right, so those are the two questions we're going to go through together. And that brings us to the beginning of your outline that you have And you are welcome to follow along with me and even take notes, although they're pretty robust notes that I gave you, but feel free to to write on there as well. So what is the church? Well, contrary to what you're going to see with your eyes and contrary to what you're going to hear from the culture, the church is not just some group of people that decided to get together and do some kind of religious services or ceremonies. The church didn't start with people. It's not people's idea or plan or design. The church is God's plan and design. The church, number one, is the outworking of God's eternal plan. Very often the gospel gets preached in individualistic terms. It's okay to preach the gospel to individuals. Call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved. Praise God for the personal call that the gospel gives. But part of that call is that you will go from being isolated and apart from God's people to brought in to being part of God's family. There's a corporate nature even to the gospel itself, where God calls disparate individuals from every tribe and every tongue and every people and every nation and every class and every ethnicity, and he makes them one. That's beautiful. That's his plan. And that's what the church is. It's the outworking of that plan. So he's had this plan for all time. This is his plan. And he began to work it out with Adam and Eve in the garden, where he created a people. He put them in a a specific place where he could care for them, and he dwelt with them, walking with them in the garden in the cool of the day. And he called them to be fruitful and multiply so that there would be 
a bigger people, more people as a part of that. But then, of course, sin entered the garden and entered human history, but it did not alter or change God's plan. His plan continued to draw a people to himself. So that really picks up next with Abraham. God God calls Abraham to himself. And notice it was a personal call. Abraham, calling you. Come and follow me. Come, I'm going to show you the land that I am going to give to you. But it was not limited to an individual call. I am going to make from you a people, a nation. Kings are going to come from you. From you, every family on earth is going to be blessed. God was communicating his vision for a people of his own. And he was going to work that out through Abraham and then through Abraham's descendants, which is what we see throughout the Old Testament. Abraham's descendants begin to grow. Then they're enslaved in Egypt. And so God calls Moses to bring them out of Egypt. And coming out of Egypt, we see a separation there. God's people being called out from amongst a pagan nation. His people set apart and set aside. And he calls them to a place again, the promised land that he promised to give them. And he calls them and says, I'm going to give you my presence. And these are the three things that just keep recurring throughout this storyline over and over and over throughout the Old Testament. God's people in God's place with God's presence. This is the theme not only of the Old Testament, but also the New, but we're still back here in the Old. And what did God's presence look like then? Well, it was the best yet, out of Eden anyway, where he tabernacled among them. And and, and they built their camp around the tabernacle with God in the center of the camp. And then, of course, God gave them the promised land, and, and they built a permanent tabernacle, the temple, where they worshiped the Lord. But still sin. Sin kept rearing its ugly head and fighting against the purposes of God. And so we had, yes, God's people in God's place with God's presence, but still sin. And throughout the Old Testament, you, you, you kind of have this war between the promises of God and the sin of God's people. And you just keep wondering who's going to win because I know the promises of God are big, but have you read the Old Testament? You know, like, wow, they seem really committed to sinning. (laughs) In steps Christ to deal with the sin of God's people so that even the sin that dwells within God's people will not come between them and their God. Glory to God. Christ came to get rid of our biggest enemy and to make it possible for God's plan to be fulfilled, even though his people are sinful. Glory to God. Glory to God for Christ and his death on the cross and his resurrection and his ascension. And that brings us now to today, where Christ reigns on high and he is calling for himself a people. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every person, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. 
And lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of the earth. The church was born in the ascension of Christ. And he poured out his spirit on the church. So what do we have? We have God's people. Kind of not in a place right now. We're an exiled people, a scattered people in every tribe and tongue and people and nation right now. But we do have God's presence in a way that was never had in the Old Testament where God's people are indwelt with the Holy Spirit of God. Praise God for that. But friends, as you well know, this is not the end. God's plans will be fulfilled. And I've got the verse there in front of you, Revelation 21. Think of people place and presence as we read this. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them as their God. That's the end of the book. The beginning of the book is Eden with a very few in the presence of God. And the end of the book is all of God's people from every tribe and tongue, united as one in worship of their God face to face. Glory. By the way, that's your Bible. There you go. That's the, that's the storyline of, of the Bible. Right? So the church, hmm, kind of a big deal. This is the plan of God for eternity getting worked out in real time. So today, this local church, Mercy Hill, is a bit more significant than you may suppose as you walked in the door. If you came in looking for local congressmen or senators or a visit from the president, you're going to be disappointed we have no judges in the church. We have no world-class entertainers or, you know, leading-edge academics. We're not bearing the appearance of great wisdom or even impact. We don't have great numbers. Friends, if you look at the church through human eyes, you're going to miss it. But if once you can glimpse even this church through the divine lens of Scripture, what you will see is the bride of Christ in waiting. The people of God for which Jesus died and to whom he is committed. So the church is the outworking of God's eternal plans. Number two, the church is the location of God's active presence. In the Old Testament, if you wanted to meet with God, you had to take a trip. You had to go to Jerusalem. If you happen to live in that city, good for you. Apart from that, in the Old Testament, you had to get on an airplane <laughs> and travel to go to Jerusalem. And then once there, ascend the Temple Mount. And then if you were a Jew, you could go inside. And if you were a male with no physical deformities who happened to be ritually clean, you could come yet further inside. And then if you were the high priest, 
you could go into the holy place once a year. One person, once a year. Christ has changed all of that. You remember, of course, that when he breathed his last breath, that the curtain of the temple was torn. And it was torn from top to bottom as God himself opened up the gates so that all who trust in Christ can come into the holy place. And so today on earth, the church is the temple of God. 2 Corinthians 6.16 For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Now, there are two teachings here, and both are true. Individual believers are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. So individual believers, in that sense, experience the presence of God and are temples of the Holy Spirit. It says that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. But alongside of that is another teaching that says that the church itself is the temple of the living God and that we as living stones are being built together into that temple. So there is something that happens when the local church gathers. The dwelling place of God is made known in a way that it's not when we're dispersed, when we're all in different places. So the church is the temple of God. The church is the body of Christ. Each of us individual members of it. As we gather, the body of Christ made visible, present upon the earth. So the church is the location of God's active presence. Number three, the church is the focus of God's earthly purposes. What is God thinking about? What is he focused on? What's his agenda? What's his plan? What has his attention? The answer is his church. The church is the focal point of God's earthly purposes. Jesus says in Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against her. So what, what are God's purposes right now? They are the building of his church. He is not about building a social media presence to reach others. He's not about building a, a corporation or a parachurch ministry or a nation. He builds one thing. He is building his church. And that one thing is the only thing that goes toe-to-toe with hell and wins. And gets hurt and gets persecuted and suffers, but wins. That's the focus of God on earth. Um, where does salvation happen? It's through the church. It's through the church proclaiming the one message of Jesus Christ. The gospel goes forward through the people of God. You know, he could have sent angels. And that seems to me to make a lot of sense. But he didn't. He's building a church to stand against the gates of hell and to rescue people from that hell by proclaiming the risen Christ. 
God saves people through the church. God preserves truth through His church. You thought of this? That's remarkable. His truth that's, that's given to us once for all in God's Word, this is the truth that God has given us by which we may be saved, through which we may come to maturity. But He calls the church to defend it. 1 Timothy 3.15, the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of truth. Mercy Hill, it's up to us to proclaim this word in our generation, to make it known amongst a people right now that don't want to hear it, to be light in a dark place, to defend what God said because he said it, whether it's popular or not. The church defends and celebrates. Give thanks to God for truth. Finally, God is glorifying himself through the church. It is, in other words, through the church that God is glorifying himself on earth. He didn't make us a militant organization in the sense of human militancy. We're not a church at arms in the sense of the, the war in Ukraine. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but we do wrestle and we are at war. And it is in this spiritual conflict that God is glorified as his people are faithful to him. So the church is the focus of God's earthly purposes. Last definitional piece, the church is the nurturer of God's needy people church is the nurturer of God's needy people. You can think of it like this. The gospel, when preached to someone, someone gets saved, they are an infant in Christ. And infants don't do great on their own. There's a kind of, there's like mythology that you can like be raised by wolves or, you know, get raised by a bear in the forest or something like that. But that someone needs to care for infants that are born. That role is given to the church. And friends, we're the ones that need it. The scriptures give four metaphors about the church, and each of them points to your need for her, your need for the church, my need for the church. The first metaphor is the body. The body. So on our own, in Christ's plan, we are, as it were, different members of a body. So maybe you're a pinky. Good job being a pinky. You know, pinkies can do some useful things. Yeah, hi. <laughs> I got a pinky wave from somebody. <laughs> pinkies can do some useful things like the pinky wave. I'm not sure what else, but I'm sure they can do useful things. Not the strongest of fingers, but it Helps to have four, I guess, up here rather than just three. So yeah, so pinky finger can do things, and pinky fingers can do things for the body. Pinky fingers are great at the mission of the body. I'm sure I'd have a hard time writing without a pinky finger. Typing would become much more challenging. Getting life done becomes more difficult. So praise God for pinky fingers. But you know what pinky fingers need? A heart, a stomach, eyes, ears, nose, internal organs, pinkies on their own, ooh, right? So it points both to your value 
you have something the church needs and to your dependency. You need the rest of the body, friend. We need the body. The second metaphor the scripture gives is the temple, right? We've talked about this. We're the temple, the Holy Spirit. Um, 1 Peter 2, 5. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So each of us is a living stone. The purpose is to be built into a house. The Lord is building his temple on earth. So stones which are not fit into the house become rather useless. And they're not fulfilling the purpose that God has intended for them. The whole metaphor of being a living stone is to teach you and me that we need to be connected to the church in order to fulfill our purpose as the Lord fits us together to build his temple. Number three, the flock. This speaks to our need for safety and for nurturing and for care. Um, That means that we are each sheep. The Lord is our shepherd. He is the good shepherd and his sheep hear his voice. And some people take that and say, well, good, you know, me and my shepherd, we're going to go do life. But the metaphor is that Jesus cares for his sheep in a flock. The sheep are called together. And together the sheep find safety from predators and green grass provided and still waters from which to drink. The good shepherd cares for his sheep in the context of a flock, which points to our need to be connected to a local church. Final metaphor of scripture is a family. Ephesians 2.19, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Man, now we're not preaching this morning on adoption. I would love to preach a sermon on adoption. I love adoption and bringing kids into homes that didn't have families. Let me just say, that's what God does for us. Right? The reason why human adoption is so cool is because it's a picture of what God has done. With, you know, every single one of God's kids is adopted except one. Every other one. Friend, you weren't just brought in relationship with God. You're made part of the family with brothers, with sisters, connected together by a common fatherhood. The fatherhood of God in pulling together not just his people, we've talked about this is God's eternal purpose to have a people, but his eternal purpose is to have a family. He calls us to be a part of, which means that God gives us not only just kind of a relationship with him on earth, but a community amongst his people right now. And that's what we get to enjoy as a local church. All right, so that gives us, that brings us to the end of Point number one, what is the church? We've considered it from God's point of view that we could maybe distance ourselves a little bit from our assumptions and worldly perspective on the church and see it through God's eyes. But number two then, why should I join a church? 
Why should I join? And let me, let me make clear, what I'm talking about here is church membership. And, and then let me make clear what I mean by that. I don't just mean put your name on a list in some church. All right? I think church membership should look like having your name on the list somewhere with some church. But not just that. Church membership is a commitment to a people. Real people. Real people who one day are going to sin against you and you're going to need to forgive them. Real people are going to have actual needs in their life. God's going to call you to meet them. All the one another's of the New Testament bear with one another. Serve one another. Use your gifts for one another. You find your one another in the local church. All right? So that's, that's what we're talking about with church membership. So why should I become a member of a local church? Number one, membership honors the metaphors of Scripture. So we just talked about four metaphors, right? What are they? The temple, that body, we've got flock, we've got family, right? Okay. So these are the four metaphors. We honor what God's trying to teach us through those metaphors by committing to a local church. So um, we're on page two now, and uh, there's a quote there on that page for you by Eric Lane, which I'm going to read, and you can follow along as I read it. He's speaking of these metaphors. He says, God has given us four pictures of the church, not one. This is not just to emphasize and prove the point by repetition, but also to say four different things about what it means to be a member of a church. To be a stone in his temple means to belong to a worshiping community. So to be a stone in his temple means I'm part of a worshiping community. That's an argument for membership. Next, to be a part of a body means to belong to a living, functioning, serving, witnessing community. It's another call to membership. Next, to be a sheep in the flock means belonging to a community dependent on him for food, protection, and direction. To be a member of a family is to belong to a community bound by a common fatherhood. Put together, you have the main functions of an individual Christian. Evidently, we are meant to fulfill these not on our own, but together in the church. Now can you see the answer to the question why you should join a church? I think Eric Lane is exactly right. I think as we look at those four pictures, and we could take any one of them, we could talk about sheep on their own and just how safe that is. The con like what God's trying to teach us. These aren't my metaphors. These are God's metaphors. So we can, we can press them for some teaching. And part of that teaching is that sheep ought not be alone. It's dangerous. Pinkies ought not be alone. It's gross <laughs> and helpless. No. Charles Spurgeon gives another great quote where he talks about being living stones. He talks about us, though, as bricks. He's humorous but insightful. He says this, I know there are some who say, well, I have given myself to the Lord but I do not intend to give myself to any church. 
Now, why not? Because I can be a Christian without it. Are you quite clear about that? You can be as good a Christian by disobedience to our Lord's commands as by being obedient? There is a brick. What is it made for? Well, to help build a house. It is of no use for that brick to tell you that it was just as good a brick while kicking about on the ground as it would be in the house. It is a good-for-nothing brick. So, you Rolling Stone Christians, I do not believe that you are answering your purpose. You are living contrary to the life which Christ would have you live, and you are much to blame for the injury you do. I think a lack of connectivity to a local church, a lack of deep commitment to others, feels to some like a victimless crime. And yet you are withholding from that body what God has given you to give to that body. The body becomes a pinkyless body, which does harm to the body. So there is a call through all of these metaphors that we be joined, committed, partnering with other believers in a local church. Number two, membership follows the example of the early church. Now, I'm not trying to say that they necessarily had a membership role like churches have a membership role. We have a membership role at Mercy Hill. I don't know that they had it quite that formal, but we can say this. They knew who was a part and who wasn't of their churches. So Matthew 2, 47, the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. They knew who was numbered among them and who wasn't, and the Lord was adding to that number. Acts 5, none of that rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. There was a them that was the church. They were members. Page 3. I'll skip and read down in 1 John. As John says, they went out from us, but they were not of us, for if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not all of us. There is an us to the people of God that John is referring to here. And that us has an expression to it on planet Earth of people connected to each other, committed to each other in the context of local churches. Number three, membership provides the necessary condition for pastoral ministry. Pastors are called to care for God's people. Lead God's people, serve God's people, teach. But they're not called to do that for everyone. I am not the pastor of Spotsylvania, nor even a pastor of Spotsylvania. I am, by the grace of God, a pastor for Mercy Hill and for those saints that are a part of this local church. I'm not called, praise God, to, to try to care for all Christians, even, even all Christians that come in the door. You, your family comes in, they join you for Easter, and, and they come in, and I'm, I love to meet them, I'm happy to talk with them, and I hope that we can bless them while they're here. 
But I'm not called to them as a pastor. I'm called to those that are members of Mercy Hill. So two things that, that we see here, pastors are called to shepherd God's people, Acts 20, 28, Paul's talking to the pastors, the elders in Ephesus, and he says this to them, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. This is a charge to them. And the charge is they watch themselves, keep yourself in the love of Christ. Don't, don't stray, watch yourself, but also watch the flock. And what, well, what flock? What are, we, what are we talking about? We're talking about the local church, the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So, elders, watch out for yourself and your local church. That's where your attention should be. That's where your focus should be. So shepherding and also preaching the word, as it says in 2 Timothy 4, I charge you, Paul says to Timothy, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. This is to happen in a context. And that context is the gathered church. This is, this is safe for God's people. Because you should know the life of the man talking to you. And you can't do that on YouTube. And you can't even do that with a great... I think John Piper is a great preacher and a godly man. I think. I'm not saying anything against him, but I certainly don't know him personally. And we're called... You're called to be in a church with pastors who you actually know. Does his life and doctrine fit together? Not perfectly, but commendably. It's a calling to be a part of a local church. Number four, membership protects us from spiritual danger. Friend, there is spiritual danger that each of us face. We have an enemy who prowls around like a roaring lion. We have a world that tempts us. We just finished our, our um, class, our Sunday school class on spiritual warfare. We have indwelling sin that is pulling us away from our Savior. Friend, you can fight that on your own or have some backup. The local church is your backup in this fight so that on your tired days, somebody else is helping hold up that shield for you. There are times I duck behind Tiff's faith on days when my faith is weak. Times when Sean picks me up after I fall, gets me back on my feet, and dusts me off. We need this. You need this. Don't be a lone sheep out there. We need this. The two passages which I list that you can look up for Matthew 18 and 1 Corinthians 5 are the, spirit, or the um, uh, discipline passages, church discipline passages, where we're called to watch each other, call people back to Christ. And if people refuse to repent, we're called to separate them from the local church as an expression of the fact that it seems as though they're not believers. 
Friend, I think of this, I think of church discipline and the safety that this provides. Um, do you ever feel like, <laughs> do you ever feel like it's hard to be a Christian? Uh, sometimes I feel like following Christ is like I'm, I'm trying to walk a tightrope. And I'm just kind of, woo, you know, okay, all right. And there's like wind and things. <laughs> I don't know, tomatoes getting thrown up or I don't know, but it's hard to stay on. And I think the local church is the net under the rope. Catches us. Here, back to the ladder. Get back up there. Keep following Jesus. We need each other for this. Your pastors need you for this. We need each other to keep each other safe. Hebrews 3, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Do you know that? Do you know that danger? Do you know that danger of the evil, unbelieving heart that would tempt you to fall away from the living God? How does that get addressed in Hebrews? Well, it gets addressed in community. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called the day, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. It's through our one another exhortations that we keep walking forward and are kept safe. So membership protects us from spiritual danger. Number five, membership creates the context for using our gifts. Um, we could talk about two big categories there. One is just financial giving. And the way that as we give financially, we're able to do more together than we can do apart. So I think of like sending missionaries. Like we're able to send missionaries to start churches in other places overseas because of our partnership. It pays for pastors, too. And there's two passages in here that talk about that. Setting aside someone to be about the work of shepherding and pastoring and caring for the church of God. So we're called, we're called to give. That's one way. The other, though, is, is more what we might call the spiritual gifts that the Lord's used, given to us. We're, we're called to use those in this context. These, these are our one another's that are sitting here in the room. 1 Peter 4, I'm on page 4 now, 1 Peter 4, as each has received a gift, used it, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. So when you see one another in the, in the New Testament, you should think brothers and sisters in Christ, because that's what it means, one another, brothers and sisters in Christ, in my local church. Otherwise, we just think, brothers and sisters in Christ, you know, out there somewhere. You know, if you don't ever join church, you're never going to be able to forgive one another. If you do join, you will have opportunity to forgive one another, you know. And if you don't join a church, you can be very picky about bearing one another's burdens. And frankly, you'll be mostly isolated from any one another's with real burdens, you join and you commit and you get to know and you relate and you will find burdens that God has gifted you to help carry. So you get to use your gifts. Number six, membership positions us for spiritual growth. We've already been talking about this in several different ways. We talked about pastoral ministry being for members, right? That positions us for growth. We talked about using our gifts 
Using our gifts helps us grow, and it helps others grow as we use our gifts. We talked about protection. Protection from wandering helps us grow, keeps us from falling. But now also, this kind of mutual care that we get to do. There's so many passages that we could look at. Let me just hone us in on Ephesians 4 there. Again, that's written out for you. I want you to think about, like, you, you if you're a believer, you want to be a mature believer. You want to grow in godliness and Christ-likeness. I want you to see how corporate God's vision for this is. It's not just you and your Bible study or you and your quiet time at home. Those are important. There's a corporate nature. Look at Ephesians 4. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. There's that spiritual growth. From whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. How does Christ grow his church? Through his church. There's a each part working properly. And so if you desire to follow Christ and become more godly and grow in holiness and, and increase in sanctification, then the local church is the context that God has given for that to happen. Number seven, and finally, membership enables us to better glorify God. We're all called to glorify God. We're all called to glorify Him, and we all can glorify God. Let me be clear. You can glorify God at your work. You can glorify God in your home. In all of these ways, we get to glorify God. But there is something where God is glorified in His body coming together, in the corporate church which is distinct and different and exceeds other ways. First Peter 2. Listen to all these corporate words. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. There's a corporate nature. We were a race, a priesthood, a nation, a people to proclaim his excellencies. There's a glorifying God we get to do together that we don't get to do alone. Praise God for that opportunity that we have. So this concludes the first of our summer series. This is our first uh, holiday, 4th of July type holiday message, where you get to come back around to something that I hope for many of you is a yes and amen kind of thing, and for some is a, oh, okay. I, I hadn't seen that before in God's word. So as we, as we process this, I, let me suggest three ways that we can apply this moving forward. And I think the first is that we think biblically about the church, that we not assess her with worldly eyes. 
That may be as simple as, you know, when we come in here, not measuring church health based on numbers or heavens, how important the people are from a worldly perspective. That we see her through God's eyes. That this is the outworking of God's eternal purpose. And that having begun it, he's going to complete this good work. That this is the place where God is actively present in a way distinct from all others on earth. The local church gathered has the presence of God as a light shining in the darkness. That the church is the focus of God's earthly activity. It is easy for us to have a quite different focus. I would invite us to consider this is God's focus. He's building his church. And that the church is the nurturer of God's needy people. And that we're called to play some role in that. So we want to think biblically about the church. And then we want to respond to God gratefully for the church. Praise God that he knows us better than we know ourselves. That he recognized that we would have a need for community. And so baked it in, in advance. A community waiting for you to welcome you and support you and help you follow Christ. That he knew our need for growth. And so he provides a, an incubator, a place where we can grow. That he knew our self-centeredness. And so he put us with other people where we were called to serve and give and forbear and forgive. That he knew our danger provides a place of safety for us. The church, friend, is a massive means of grace to the people of God. Praise God for providing for us so kindly. And if I can just go off script for a second, God could have put me in a lot of churches. I'm really glad he put me here with all of you. Praise God. He didn't just give us community. I mean, I get to look out at all of you. Y'all aren't looking around at each other, and that's probably right, but, but this is who he gave us. Glory to God. This is his kindness. He gave us each other to walk this life with. These aren't just big ideas. They are big ideas. We get to own them. We get to carry these together and help each other follow the Lord. What a privilege. Praise God. The last one I would just say is pursuing membership in the church. And, and I would say pursuing a, the kind of membership I've been talking about here, the kind of active membership. Right? If, if you've never become a member of a local church, let me say under the authority of God's word, you should be a member of a local church. I'm not saying you should be a member of Mercy Hill. I hope you do. But I can say under the authority of God's word, every Christian should be a member of a local church. This is God's design for his people from the first page of the Bible to the last page of the Bible. And so I would ask you to, to consider if you're not a member, perhaps the Lord would call you to Mercy Hill. That would be wonderful and exciting for us to walk that out together. But if at the end of this series, if you go, you know what? I'm, I'm not on the same page on, as this church on a few things. I think I need to go find another church 
to become a member of, then, then I think you're still applying God's word to go find another church to become a member of so that you can experience what God has for you in the context of a local church. For those of you that have been here for years and have been laboring to build this church, you've been members, thank you. Thank you for the way that you've given your life, given your years, given of your money and your time and your talents and your attention that you could help build a local church. And really, friends, if you're new here, it's, it's God, the way God used many others in this room to build this church that, that now maybe you could join as well. But even if you've been a faithful member, how is God calling you to renew that call to serving Him as a connected, committed member of a local church? Let's do this together so that Christ can be exalted among us. I recognize that uh, some are going to have membership questions now that we're kind of putting it on the table. And you are more than welcome to email me, come talk to me, mob Sean after church is over and ask him a bunch of questions. Uh, We'd love to talk about these things. And also, we're going to continue to kind of unfold things over the coming weeks as we walk this out together.